Welcome to today's Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I am joined by Peter Franklin. Hello. And I'm also joined by the lovely Sally Chatterton. Hello. Today, we are talking about actually what we would probably term an underreported topic. Uh, it is an unpacked that Peter wrote entitled Italy versus the EU establishment, now who's being irresponsible. So, I'm going to kick off uh, before we come on to the meat of what actually has happened in Italy with, I guess, a question around why this has been such an underreported story. So, this is about the Italian election. Um, which has had some interesting outcomes, and yet we're not talking about it, Peter. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Um, the coverage of it, even on you know, on the morning that we found out what the results would be, um, was well, certainly on the BBC and most of the papers, I'd say, the other broadcasters too, um, in the UK anyway, um, was pretty thin. Um, you know, they seem, we seem to be much more interested in the Oscars and other things that were going on that day. Um, whereas this is actually a pretty earth-shattering election result. Um, probably, I, I reckon, the most consequential election result in Italy um, since the war. So, okay, so if, that, gonna, if, well, if that's the case, why, why didn't it get any traction? Is it because it's too complicated or is it because... It's not theatrical enough. We've got Trump over the other side of the pond, haven't we, do, being a crazy politician? Or is it just that it's too dull? Oh, well, I'm not sure you can ever accuse Italy and Italians of not being theatrical enough. Um, but um, I think the complexity right. is a key issue here. Um, I mean, it's if you look at the number of different parties um, and then the permutations of how they might form coalitions, it all gets, you know, sort of pretty head-scratching. And for um, broadcasters or other journalists to try and explain this in a sort of um, pithy way to their um, listenerships and readerships um, is not easy. And yet the consequences, um, which go far beyond Italy, um, merit a, you know, a, a proper analysis. And I, I think for the most part, the, the British media has dropped the ball on this one. Okay, so it wasn't well covered. Um, I mean, Peter, you you sort of make a, 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 a slightly uh, jokey, maybe, <laughs> comment uh, in your unpacked, where you say perhaps it was just too painful for the Europhile media establishment to dwell on. Yes. Um, but of course, you know, I mean, the media establishments that perhaps are less pro-Europe also didn't dwell on it. Mm. So why is this so important? It's so important because, um, well, for Europe post-Brexit to move forward, it needs to sort out the Eurozone, which is at the absolute economic core of Europe and the source of, you know, the key structural problems. Um, so to move forward on that um, requires much more fiscal integration, the sharing of budgets to some extent between countries. That's not going to happen unless um, you know the northern countries, the richer countries, see evidence of, um, I guess, um, restructuring and reform in the southern countries, which they're going to be asked to be more supported 
supportive of in both their monetary and fiscal policies. However, the results in this one, in the, in the Italian election, is that um, is very much um, two fingers to the European establishment because the parties that did very well were um, Five Star, which is a sort of broad tent populist party with um, quite Eurosceptic um, uh, an outlook, and further to the right, uh, quite a long way further to the right, um, the um, the League Party, um, which used to be the Northern League, um, and that is even more Eurosceptic. I mean, they're allies of um, Marine Le Pen in the European Parliament, which gives you an idea of how radical they are. Those were the two big winners. And, and I mean, so you're, in, in the impact, you're uh, looking at a piece that was in The Economist. Yes. Um, and uh, one of the other points that The Economist makes is not just that these are parties that are highly Eurosceptic, but also that they campaigned on, um, you know, very extravagant, kind of generous sort of tax and spending promises as well. So again, standing in contrast with what the EU will want to be doing which is presumably bringing down uh the the public sector debt of italy yes well uh, kudos to the to the economist i mean what they're one of the few kind of um mainstream uh publications to have given this some proper in-depth coverage and you know they point out how you know the arithmetic makes it impossible for well, very hard to see what sort of stable government can emerge from here, and also makes it very clear that on immigration, on um, EU integration, on fiscal responsibility, um, there is um, no mandate or inclination that emerged from this Italian result for um, a sort of EU-compliant Italy. And let's not forget Italy is now the third biggest um, economy in the Eurozone. Um, and, you know, there's, there's no progress uh, without Italy moving in Europe's direction. And so, um, I mean, this is, I guess, particularly interesting, given, as you say, the potential impact, the kind of, um, I guess, a sort of reverberations that the that, that the EU uh, and the rest of Europe and therefore probably the rest of us are going to feel if this isn't sorted out. But, the, you know, one of the interesting things that you pull out of that Economist article is the fact that they call the result a vote for irresponsibility. And you, yes. you know, I think very powerfully say, well, hold on a minute, who are the ir irresponsible ones here? You know, kind of, again, it feels a bit like the sort of Brexit scenario where we're blaming the stupid people who couldn't work out that the you know, technocrats in the EU are, are so much more sophisticated and clever and, and therefore deserve to be in charge here. So, I mean, why, why would you suggest that perhaps the irresponsible people, Peter, are the EU and not the Italian voters? Well, let's not forget the Eurozone was um, kind of an, a French politician's initiative and it was engineered by German bankers. And yet they thought it was a fantastic idea to welcome in economies like Italy and Greece, right? 
Um, so that's that's a clearly irresponsible, ridiculous, short-sighted decision they took, and boy, did the chickens come home to roost on that one. Um, then looks, let's look, look at immigration, one of one of the other key issues in Italy. Um, well, I was going to what, I was going to say okay. that. I mean, isn't the way that um, Italy's sort of a victim of the way the European project has failed to come together on immigration, isn't it? Because, well, at the first time sign of trouble, um, Merkel. Well, she, 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 she stopped immigration, didn't she, initially? But then she pulled the barriers up again as soon as she could when she thought that it was uh, trouble for her in the polls. Yes. And so yeah, yeah. the immigrants who come up through Italy, they're trapped there, aren't they? Well, there was this, you know, obviously uh, Merkel's big open borders initiative. Exactly. Um, but of course, Germany doesn't have borders with the Middle East. Um, they've got to come through the neighbouring countries, including Italy, key route up from the Mediterranean. Um, and then... Then, under pressure from her own voters, down come the barriers again. And also, France um, stops immigrants moving from Italy to France on that border. Um, and so, a very large number of, of, of migrants on Italian soil without nearly enough help from uh, the EU authorities the various, um, and the various country authorities that did a lot to create the problem in the first place. And just briefly, Peter, um, I mean, immigration isn't the only issue of why uh, Italy is perhaps struggling and why Italian voters may be a little bit unhappy. Because, of course, the other, the other challenge that um, those countries that are part of the single currency have is that they, don't, they can't control their own monetary policy. Yes, and that's especially disastrous for the south of Italy. Um, which you know, in, in in some ways, it's it's economically equivalent to to Greece, and you know we, we see in Greece we saw very um, clearly the the impact of not being able to have a an appropriate exchange rate there, and it's doing much the same in uh, a third of the third biggest economy in the eurozone in Italy. Um, so you know none of it is looking good and. You know these misfortunes. I don't think you can say the Italian people were the authors of them. You know, um, you know these were structures set up by people elsewhere in Europe, and they have legitimate concerns, and they're expressing that via the polls, which is exactly what in a democracy you should be able to do. Exactly. So you know they can't really. Com- well, the European establishment shouldn't complain about the results. It was entirely predictable. Okay, well, thank you very much, Sally and Peter. Um, Good to understand the Italian election and for for Unheard to be making sure it is covered properly. Um, Thank you also to James Coney, our producer. Please do subscribe to the Unheard podcast. We have a variety of different ones, including our audio documentaries. Um, And also, if you enjoyed it, please do rate us.